everybody. It's Allie, and welcome to our Y&R chat for Sunday, September 23rd, 2018. You know what really turns me on? A full-on cap and gown graduation ceremony. Y&R has made my dream come true this week. I loved it. I loved Sharon this week. I loved being able to actually see her dream come full circle. Actually see her character come full circle. Show us this accomplishment and be proud of herself. It was amazing. Not only did we get to see Sharon in her cap and gown, but we saw her giving this very raw, emotional, and at times personally revealing speech at the graduation ceremony, and we got a graduation after party, and we got cap and gown sex. (laughs) What more could you ask for? It was was actually less gown and more cap. (laughs) But I really could not be more pleased. It was excellent. Excellent. And hey, how about when Sharon was in the middle of giving her speech and she told the crowd that she herself has a mental illness, but that she decided that she was going to let it become a stepping stone for her instead of an obstacle. Bravo, Sharon. I thought That was such a brave thing to say and to do. I was so proud of her, as were Nick and Mariah, who were sitting in the audience taking photos and just taking it in, enjoying this new Sharon. I really would have loved, honestly, to have seen her take this new degree and certification and move into a private practice, I think that would have been an even better evolution of her character, showing her with this independence. And I would have liked to have seen her counsel some of our screwed up Genoa City residents. That would have been cool. But It seems that another opportunity has presented itself instead. Ray is discussing JT's case with Paul. It actually sure has been really nice seeing Paul twice in two weeks. I just feel so awful though now every time I see Paul because it's so apparent that he's being replaced with Ray. And Ray has a very specific idea on what he's going to do to get to the bottom of this JT case. He's telling Paul that basically, even as Sharon is at this very moment giving her speech, finishing her graduation celebration, being lauded by everyone around her and having everyone around her recognizing how amazing and strong she is, Ray is telling Paul that he thinks Sharon is the weak link in the cover-up of what happened to J.T. Hellstrom. She's the weak, weak link in a chain of women who the police know had contact with 
JT on the last night that he was seen alive, and Ray wants to exploit that weak link. He wants to exploit Sharon. So he offers her a job with the police department. It's going to be as a victim liaison. It's a social worker position that she's now uniquely qualified for. And more importantly, that way Ray can keep her close and work on getting her to crack. Well, when Ray initially offered Sharon the job, she turned him down flat. By the way, Ray is apparently doing all of the hiring for the GCPD as well. But when Sharon lets Ray's job offer sink in, she realizes that she needs to talk to Victoria about this, just to fill in the other girls, the other women, the other parties who are affected on what Ray's trying to do. Sharon saw through the fact that Ray was only offering her this job as a a way to keep her close. And instead of Victoria getting really paranoid about it, she just decides to tell Sharon, yeah, you should take this job. You should go be on the inside at the GCPD. You can keep an eye on whatever's going on with the JT investigation indefinitely, and you can you know, let us know if there's anything going on we need to know about. Let us know if the police are getting close to the truth about what happened to JT. I mean... Sharon, you'll have ex- you'll have access to computer files and stuff. Uh, what could go wrong there with you snooping around in the police department computer files? It's such a bad idea for Sharon to take this job. At least, though, she knows that Ray only offered her the job to get information out of her. At least Sharon is a step ahead of Ray. I just think she should have stayed far, far away from this job offer. Probably stayed far, far away from Ray. But how would a romance develop then? (laughs) I mean, Ray has made certain that he and Sharon will be working very, very closely together. She's sitting in Kevin's old desk right across from Ray so he can literally keep his eyes on her all day. He even bought her a balloon to celebrate her first day on the job. Gee, Ray, did you buy a balloon for Stu when Stu was hired down in the mailroom? I don't think so. It's clear that Ray is laying it on a little thick when it comes to Sharon. Her first day went smashingly, though. Uh, She did a fantastic job, as we all would have expected. She helped to not only counsel, but to advocate for this woman who had been caught up in this bad drug deal, and Ray was trying to convince this woman to testify against the bad guys, the set of drug dealers, and it was Sharon's job to come in and make sure that she understood what she was doing, and to kind of be the mediator between the police and the the victim. It was a really 
a touching scene, honestly. But I can't help but feel that I, Allie, would have really brought something a little extra to that drug, that victim, that drug victim role. <laughs> I'm looking at that woman, I'm thinking, I've got that same dingy gray sweatshirt. I could have popped out to, popped out to California just for that extra role and even would have brought my own wardrobe. <laughs> Why is YNR always giving away my plum like homeless woman roles to these outside people that could be utilizing their fan base. Um, you know, honestly, when all was said and done, everybody was impressed with Sharon. The victim was impressed with Sharon's help. Ray was impressed with Sharon, complimented her for how well she completed the task on her very first day. And Ray really seemed to mean it. He seemed genuinely impressed with Sharon, but then he turns around, sends a text message to Paul, letting Paul know essentially that he's got Sharon right where he wants her, trusting him. I think that the interesting thing about the relationship between Sharon and Ray as it continues to develop will be this. They don't trust each other. We as the audience know that they're both suspicious of one another, but they also have reasons to kind of like one another. So as we watch their relationship, friendship, whatever it becomes, continue to develop, the trick will be trying to discern what's real from what is a manipulation. And I think that will make for some interesting seen some interesting TV. Hey, are Sharon and Nick going to be getting married next week? In the previews for uh, that we saw on Friday's show, Sharon looked all dressed up like she was dressed up for her wedding and she had these tears in her eyes. She was telling Nikki that she wanted to tell the truth to Nick about the, the JT homicide. And then separately in another preview scene, we had Nick telling Phyllis that he wanted to tell Sharon the truth about the one night stand that they had. So I'm wondering... Are Nick and Sharon scheduled to get married next week? And I wonder if one or the other of them are going to end up confessing the secrets that they're separately keeping. Hmm. I mean, we've been talking about this for months at this point, speculating on whether or not Nick and Sharon will actually say their I do's. And it seems as if the time has come. So why don't we put a poll on that this week, YNR Chatters? Do you think that Nick and Sharon will be saying I do? YRChat.com is our website where you can get in your vote, talk a little bit about Nick and Sharon, get in your predictions. It sounds like we're going to see at least some movement on this next week, unless it was all a tease. I mean, I can't help but feel that if Sharon were to confess to Nick about what happened with the JT homicide, I think that Nick would be shocked and appalled. 
But I think that he would ultimately come to understand and accept and could continue in a relationship with her. Whereas <laughs> if Nick were to confess to Sharon about his affair with Phyllis, I'm thinking that this new Sharon would not be able to understand and accept Nick making the same old mistake with the same person that broke up their marriage in the first place. Mariah returns this week from her on-location assignment only to realize that Tessa has been roughed up. And, of course, Tessa tried to dance around it at first, as she did with Sharon last week, but she very quickly tells Mariah everything that happened. And, again, Mariah offers Tessa some money from her savings account. But, again, Tessa refuses. I think in both Mariah and Tessa's mind, if the money can just be paid off, all of this will go away. And we talked a lot last week about whether or not the danger is real with Tessa. Is it real or imagined? And I am starting to think that YNR wants us to doubt Tessa, Tessa, to distrust Tessa, but that in the end, they are going to reveal that there was indeed a danger that she was in and that she is indeed in need of help. I mean, it must say something about her character that she was willing to ask for and take the money from Devon but not from Mariah. It's almost as if Tessa would rather continue to put herself in harm's way than to make the relationship with Mariah any more sticky. And I think at this point, too, Mariah, or Tessa has promised Mariah that she's planning on sticking around for the long haul, and I don't think Tessa wants to just split town and leave Mariah hanging. Instead, Tessa simply asks Mariah if she can help her find another job, help her find a way to keep earning as much money as she can as quickly as possible. So Mariah asks Nick if Tessa can do some odd jobs for him around Dark Horse. Sure. <laughs> hey, as a matter of fact, Nick does have some files that he needs some help disposing of. Ray pulls Victor into his office. I mean, Paul's office. To start asking some questions about... J.T. Hellstrom. Well, Victor gives Ray nothing. He's not giving up any information. But Victor does note that Ray seems equally as interested in asking questions about J.T. as he is about asking questions 
in and around the relationship that Victor has with Nick. So Victor pays a visit to Nick and ended up admitting, or insisting at least, and Nick seemed to believe, that Victor had nothing to do with Nick's arrest or the fact that it was plastered all over the media. I'm I'm very surprised that Nick believed him. We are definitely seeing a softening here, right? You guys are picking up on that too? Because Victor had commented to Ray in that interview about how his father-son bond with Nicholas is unbreakable, despite all of the things that they've been through. And I thought that was a very surprising comment very much of a contrast to the previous conversations that Victor's been having about Nick. I mean, and even with Nick, Victor and Nick have been very threatening toward one another for quite a while now, and now it seems like we're pulling back on that. I mean, even a few weeks ago, Victor was just telling Victoria about how he's planning a hostile takeover of Dark Horse as soon as the time is right, and now we're seeing Victor being much more supportive. I'm I'm a little shocked and confused about that. I really, I just really thought that it was going to have turned out that Victor was behind all of this and that Victor turned Nick into the police. I'm shocked, in fact, that he didn't. Um, So yeah, I think YNR is trying to switch Victor's direction. I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that Eric Braden is going to be taking some time off. Uh, I read an article that said he is traveling to Germany and he's going to be gone for a month. I mean, it's a it's a it's probably a very big and involved trip going from the U.S. to Europe, and he wants to take his time and I think probably even reconnect with some of his past and his roots, and I think that's really cool. I'm not exactly sure how long he's going to be gone for in the on the show time. I don't know if YNR is going to address that and say Victor went off to do something or if they were able to film around him because there's just so much that Victor is involved in right now and always, but uh We'll see. I have a feeling, though, that Nick is going to land himself in some hot water. Maybe Victor is going to end up in this new vein of forgiveness. Maybe Victor's going to end up saving him from it. The authorities know that Nick hacked into Newman Enterprises' computer systems, and just because Nick signed immunity with the GCPD doesn't mean that he is going to have immunity with the feds. So Nick realizes all of this, and he realizes that he has to get rid of any paper trail, whether it's physical paper or digital trail. He's he's got to get rid of any evidence that can that can connect him to that crime. So he decides to just hire somebody and along with Tessa just destroy destroy destroy. Great idea, Nick. This is just going to get him in more trouble. This this is called tampering with evidence now, son. Without Nick knowing why, Jack starts to talk to Nick about Albert Miller. Now, Nick 
met the man. So he has a firsthand account to provide to Jack, and Nick did not paint a warm and fuzzy family picture of this man who Jack now believes might be his father. In fact, the picture is so dark that it ends up causing Jack to conjure up some sympathy for Victor, knowing that he's been through finding out, you know, having this man for a father. And I think Jack doesn't really quite know what to do with that particular emotion. And he also now doesn't even think that he necessarily wants to pursue knowing anything about this man. In fact, Jack had decided to completely back off the whole Albert Miller thing, decided maybe some things are better left, undiscovered, careful what you wish for, yada yada. But then... Victor pays Jack a visit and gets up on his high horse going on about how he built his company from the ground up and Jack had better not think that he was going to find out that they're related and then try to claim a stake in Newman Enterprises. Again, I ask you, Victor, how is this even possible? You don't just build up a successful business and a successful life for decades and then your long lost relatives get to start crawling out of the woodwork to take your stuff. That's just not how it works. And Victor's paranoia and iron fist ended up shooting himself in the foot. It caused Jack to totally change his positioning. And Jack tells Victor, well, you know what? Maybe I will keep pursuing this Albert Miller connection, whether Victor likes it or not. So, (laughs) the first step for Jack now is, you guessed it, DNA test. (laughs) Another DNA test. And the first thing Jack does is asks, Abby to help him out with that. Asks Abby, just, you know, bring me a sample of Victor's DNA. Just go into Victor's bathroom, grab his mustache comb. (laughs) But Abby does not feel comfortable doing this. We saw several moments with her in the week where she thought about it. She wants to help Jack, but she also doesn't want to betray her father and his wishes. So Abby's out. Next, Jack uh, sees Victor dining at the athletic club. And as soon as Victor walks away from the dinner table, Jack scurries over to the table and tries to steal the napkin that Victor just wiped his mouth with. Okay, number one, gross. So gross. (laughs) Number two, I literally laughed out loud at Devon busting Jack, trying to sneak this napkin into his pants. I mean, it was so obvious. And Devon comes over like, hey, did you know that you have one of my napkins in your your pocket? (laughs) The look on Jack's face was so great. I screen capped it. He goes, oh, oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, this? Oopsie. 
after two strikes, Jack decides to just go directly to Matt Miller. And what do you know? He's close by in Madison. He agrees to come to Genoa City to meet with Jack. And just when Jack is revealing to Matt his suspicions about Albert being his father, and just when Matt is letting Jack know that he's not comfortable doing anything that goes against his brother Victor's wishes, Victor sees them, and he walks right up to the table, and he chastises his brother for giving Jack Abbott the time of day. Matt Miller... This poor guy. Uh, Now he's caught in the middle of their feud. And Matt already looks a little worse for the wear. I'm sorry, but he looked a little rough. His suit jacket looked old and worn. And his personality was kind of meek. Something was off about this man who is supposed to be Victor's brother. It just, it was, it was a little odd, but he did seem to know exactly what to say to make Victor change his mind. Uh, Matt brings up a good point to Victor that's probably part of the reason why Victor so badly does not want Jack to be related. It's not just because of his years and years of feud with Jack, but also because like having this new brother would be like having a wa- another walking talking reminder in your face all the time of a horrible father that you've had so that did add a little bit of explanation to me as to why Victor was railing against this so hard. But Matt makes a good point to Victor by saying, if you are truly over Albert Miller, and if you are truly free emotionally of what he did to you, then prove it. Submit to a DNA test, get it over with. In fact, consider it a challenge. (laughs) We all know Victor Newman never shies away from a challenge. Maybe Matt Miller is a little more smart like a fox (laughs) than I gave him credit for. Um, He calls Jack to Newman Enterprises, Victor. Uh, In Victoria's office, by the way. I kind of miss Victor's office set, but I'm guessing that it had to be broken down to make room for all of that dark horse space. Um, But uh, Dr. Nate's there, and Victor and Dr. Nate surprise Jack, uh, and and Dr. Nate gives them both a swab, and, and Victor and Jack take their pregnancy tests. I mean, DNA tests! <laughs> DNA, DNA tests. Um, so we Nate said that we should be getting those results as early as tomorrow. What do you guys 
think? Is it going to come out positive or negative? Uh, I asked you guys in a poll question last week if you were buying this whole Victor and Jack being half-brothers thing. 63% of you said, no way, not buying it, not having it, uh, with 37% of you liking this potential twist. I voted no way, (laughs) Uh, but... I think next week we're going to find out that it's going to be a match, whether I want that or whether the fans want that or not. I feel that that's just the direction we're going in. I don't think there's anything I can do to prevent it. So, okay, fine. Fine, if we must. If it turns out next week that Victor and Jack are a match, then I am not going to swim too hard against the tide on this one. Just a heads up, I am I'm going to just let myself go and float merrily down the stream. Victoria's working on getting her black belt. (laughs) Oh my, I enjoyed Victoria and Nate very, very much this week. I thought that it was an incredibly insightful suggestion by Nate to teach Victoria some Taekwondo moves. It's a form of self-defense and self-empowerment, making her feel physically strong and physically capable in hopes that that will restore her emotional strength and stability too. Plus, the whole martial arts aspect gives us something visually different to look at on our screen. I loved it. And in general, I loved Nate this week. He seemed much more relaxed and far less preachy. I liked him during the examination scene with Victor and Abby. I liked him during Shauna's birthday party. I think that Nate has got something about him that is different, and it's in fact special. Um, it's, it's just, it's on a whole different level than any of the other male characters on the show. I think it's simply swag. I think Nate just has this sexy, cool vibe that's, it's very appealing and, and (laughs) I can't deny in my mind, Nate is giving Kane a run for his money in the looks good in tight jeans category. Let me get this straight. (laughs) Neil gets back into town and the number one first thing he does is jump into bed with Ashley? Come on, YNR. So, Just make sure I'm clear. (laughs) Number one on Neil's agenda when he gets back to Genoa City, sex with Ashley. Number two on his agenda when he gets back to Genoa City, visit his daughter in prison, I guess, maybe eventually? We still haven't seen him visit Lily or call Lily or really acknowledge what's happened to his firstborn daughter. 
not biological, but still, it is unacceptable. I don't give two hoots right now about how Neil feels toward Ashley. All my hoots go to how Neil feels about what's happening to his family. And Anne, no, okay, so fine, no scenes with, Li with Lily, but what about Devon? Not even any interaction with Devon and the momentous change of heart and perspective that he's had? This doesn't make any sense. And I am not happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> Not happy at all. <sighs> well, we are going back to prison next week, though. Maybe it'll happen next week because the previews <laughs> for next week's show have Lily and Kane chatting in that prison conference room and a guard comes in to tell them that their daughter has been arrested. What? Who would have thought that? If either of their children was about to be arrested, I completely would have assumed that it would have been Charlie. What on earth could Maddie have done to have ended up arrested at the state prison? <laughs> was she unlawfully picketing outside of the prison wearing her organic cotton free lily t-shirt? YNR must have had a big store credit at the party supply store. They were able to snag a great deal on banners and balloons this week for both Sharon's graduation party and Shauna's 18th birthday graduation party. It's a week of celebrations here on YNR, really. <laughs> I thought that, that Shauna's party decor was lovely, by the way. It was hot pink and purple and black, and they had that cool black and white striped cake that looked really delicious. It looked like it was chocolate cake on the inside. Yum! <laughs> I wanted to go to that party, get myself some cake. I mean, honestly, though, when I saw that, that this is where we were going, I didn't expect to care very much about Shauna's birthday or her party. But when Devon surprised her, I was very touched. He, he read to her at the party this list that Hillary had made of reasons why she wanted Shauna to move in with them. And he found this and read it to her at the party. And I thought that was beautiful. And most importantly, I thought it was beautiful that Devon gave Shauna the gift of an education, a college education. And I did feel choked up in that moment. I, it's probably more attributed to Devon, but I still felt that was a great bonding moment. And those were some good scenes. If I had to guess, though, the fact that Devon offered to send her to any college of her choosing, be it local or out of state or even abroad, signals to me that we are going to be seeing less of Shauna, which might make some of you guys happy. She's 18 years old now. She can legally move out, be on her own, even though Devon was more than welcoming and encouraging for her to stay. But I think that 
Shauna is going to choose to make the most out of this opportunity that she sees uh, and that Devon sees as Hillary wanting her to have. So I could see Shauna choosing to study in Paris or someplace fabulous like that. Poor Maddie and Charlie over there. Kane pilfered from their school funds. Who knows if they'll even get to go to college while Uncle Devon is over here springing big for Shauna to study anywhere in the world. (laughs) Hey, maybe that's what drove Maddie over the edge. Arturo has made it clear that he doesn't want to have anything to do with his big brother, Ray. But Arturo doesn't speak for Lola, and Lola misses her brother. She sees that he's in town, understands that he wants to meet with her, so she takes the opportunity to arrange a meeting with Ray and ambush Arturo into attending as well. But Arturo doesn't bite. I mean, Lola sprung this little family reunion on him. He is not only not receptive to it, but he's also disappointed in Lola for even doing this and for not listening to him. Arturo ends up walking out and, importantly, I think, leaving Abby to feel really curious and really confused about what exactly went on between these two. And that's how I feel, too. I'm looking forward to finding out what exactly it is that went on between Arturo and Ray. I think whatever happened between Lola and Ray is a little bit different. Lola certainly has some resentment toward Ray, and I don't think it runs quite as deep as whatever happened with Arturo. It seems that Lola felt mostly just oppressed by this older brother who was filling the role of a father, telling her who she could see, where she could go, what time she had to come home. And so now she is grown. She's out on her own. She has her own life and she's going to rebel against all of those rules that Ray had set out for her. Ray now has no say whatsoever in the things that she does and where she goes and how she runs her business and how she runs her life. Um, It was interesting when Ray walked up to her food truck and starts to ask her if she has the proper permits. And, you know, I mean, it's clear that he's still just filling the role, this fatherly role that was forced upon him for one reason or another. So I have empathy for uh, for Ray in that situation, but it was still fun to watch her slam the food truck door in his face. Y&R is definitely in the process of turning Summer's character around. They're now explaining some of her actions and her motivations for everything that went down with Billy and with Phyllis. But Summer's process of redemption needed to start by making amends with her mom, not with Kyle. Early in the week, Summer had 
a father-daughter chat with Nick, and in a veiled way, she tells Nick that she feels all of this remorse for burning the bridge with Kyle, but yet she has no mention, she makes no mention of the charred remains of her relationship with her own mother. That part doesn't click with me. She goes out of her way to hunt Kyle down. If anybody should be, if she should be begging anyone for forgiveness, it should be Phyllis, but she hunts Kyle down. And she's telling Kyle how she really, really wants and needs him in her life. And she plans on starting to treat him better, beginning now. This time, this time, you know, it's going to be different between us. And Kyle tells her, no, actually, this time... It's too late. This time we're done. I am not here just to support you. I am not here just when it's convenient for you. Yeah, I still have feelings for you. They don't go away overnight, but I had a moment when we talked last week and I realized afterwards that even if we did get together, we would just end up tearing each other to shreds. So we're done. That's it. The end. Summer is Summer is definitely one of these types <laughs> who doesn't really want Kyle, but I guarantee you she does not want anyone else to have him. And she I don't I don't know. I wonder if she wants Kyle or if seeing Kyle with Lola is just going to drive her crazy. I like where this is going, though. I can see Kyle dating Lola, driving Summer crazy, and, by the way, Lola dating Kyle, driving Ray crazy. I mean, the whole Forbidden Lovers story is a tried-and-true recipe for success. Summer does have some legitimate reasons for being disappointed in Phyllis. I'll grant her that. But rather than expressing her disappointment in her mom, Summer just went on the attack. This week, Phyllis sees how bummed out Summer is about what's gone on with Kyle. And Phyllis sees an opportunity to help console Summer. I am sorry, but if my daughter just did to me what Summer did to Phyllis, and I saw her a week later pouting about a boy, I would wipe those pouty lips right off her face. I can't help thinking that what Summer really needs and needed all along was a little bit of tough love. But Phyllis is desperate to repair the relationship that she has with her one and only daughter. So instead, Phyllis decides to sit down with Summer, tries to connect with her, tries to offer her some advice. But having a normal mother-daughter conversation after everything that's happened between them is impossible. They have to address the elephant in the room, and they haven't really done that in an honest, sincere way. Phyllis asks Summer to just be straight with her and admit why she did what she did. 
And Summer basically says to Phyllis that Phyllis deserved everything that Summer did to her because of what Phyllis did to Jack. And, I mean, she cheated on Jack with Billy and then also cheated on Billy with Nick. So Summer, in her mind, saw herself as needing to issue Phyllis a taste of her own medicine, as if Summer was a Justice League of one. I felt bad for Phyllis in all of this, as Summer was just ripping into her. Is it inevitable that all mothers and daughters have to have this moment of like where the child is now grown and decides to hand down judgment upon the mom? I certainly hope not because I'm a new parent and and I'm having a, this terrifying thought of like, oh my gosh, is my daughter gonna in 20 years sit down with me at, at the table and tell me all the things I did wrong in my parenting? And I'm just going to have to take it? I mean, I don't think so. Phyllis just took it. She did kind of just like recoil a little bit and let Summer have her way. Maybe it's just because Summer knows exactly what buttons to push of Phyllis's. Um, I mean, like... Summer is there ripping into Phyllis, and Phyllis is telling her, you know what, maybe this is good. It's good. I'm, I, I, I'm hearing everything that you're saying, and I'm hoping that maybe this will be a jumping off point for starting over again. It's so passive and so almost uncharacteristically Phyllis-like, and it's a very similar story Uh, with what's going on this week between Phyllis and Billy. Phyllis, it seems, is actually trying to be a better version of herself, and Phyllis has done a lot to try to support Billy. She's tried to not pressure him when anyone on the outside can see that he is so close to drowning. Phyllis is trying to be there to softly and gently hoist him up. She opens up to Billy about the conversation she just had with Summer, and he opens up to her in turn about his next big bet, which is really a trap. Um, Kyle gets this friend of his to send an email invitation to Billy that's all about this high roller investment, I don't know, like a pool or something. And I mean, it's... He takes the bait right away. It's all Billy can think about. He takes the bait to the tune of a half a million dollars. This is a half a million dollar bet, and Billy just buys in like that. Well, to his credit, Billy was honest with Phyllis about the fact that he was doing this. I'll give him that. He tells her that he's doing it, how much money it's costing, but he just leaves out the teeny tiny little detail about where that money came from. And when Phyllis expresses concern about the stakes, maybe getting a little too high for her, Billy lashes back and is insisting that Phyllis is just there trying to fix him, just like Victoria always did. That just is not sitting right with me. I mean, doesn't Phyllis have the right to ask questions? Doesn't Phyllis have a right to express 
her feelings about his actions? Isn't that what partners do? Like, it should be a give and take. And Billy made it seem like it was his way or the highway, and that's not fair. I don't think that that Phyllis is treating Billy the way that Victoria used to. I mean, uh, Billy did have a conversation with Victoria this week that ended up leaving him feeling alone and unsupportive and or unsupported. And maybe that's what was rumbling around in his head that caused him to react this way. But Victoria is also trying to help Billy. Victoria has been down this road. She realizes that Phyllis isn't taking a hard line about all of this with Billy, with Billy because she loves him and she doesn't know what to do. But Victoria can sense that Phyllis is very concerned about what's going on with him because she's been in her shoes. Like Victoria's been through all of this process of emotion when trying to deal with him and this addiction. So Victoria tries talking to Billy, tries telling him that he's playing with fire, but like every addict who doesn't realize yet that they have a problem, Billy is insisting that he can handle it. He's insisting that he can just gamble a little bit and it'll be okay. Then why does he need to cash in his investments? And when he can't liquidate that fast enough, he asks Gloria to transfer money from Jabot business accounts directly into the bank account of this gambling syndicate so that he can continue to participate in these wiener circle games. I am sure that Billy believed that he was going to be able to put that money back before anybody even missed it. But everybody's already missing it. I mean, Jabot is already on shoestring budgets because of the expansion of the Jabotiques. And then he had to cut Ashley's R&D budgets. She's now paying for that whole type A consulting gig out of her own pocket, which tells me that it's personal for her. Whatever's going on with type A consulting and whatever they're doing for her is personal. He also was asking Phyllis to scale back on Fenmore's budgets. But at the same time, telling Phyllis that he's only gambling with a certain amount of money each month. And when that's gone, he's done. Lie. And now the truth is he's he's making half a million dollar bets. In less than 24 hours, he learns that 50,000 of it is just gone. It's gone into the thin air. And he's doing all of this out of the company funds. I mean, did he ever end up putting that money back? I don't know. But taking money from company accounts and putting it into a personal venture is called embezzlement. Billy could not have walked more perfectly into Kyle's little trap. And Kyle, he doesn't want to waste any time pulling the chain. Kyle starts to pressure 
Gloria to help him reveal everything that Billy has done. I really wish that Gloria hadn't caved in to Kyle's pressure. He tells her that if she doesn't give him the passwords to access the financial transaction that Billy just made, then she's going to end up going down with him. Now, uh, I can see... Gloria's concern here. She's talked to Billy more than once telling him to watch his step. And Kyle does make a good point that if Billy goes down, he's not going to go out of his way to save you. So I guess I can see how that would be a scary idea for Gloria that might make her motivated to help Kyle. She's the one that performed the task. She's the one that actually transferred the money. And Gloria does not need any problems with the authorities at this point in her life. She's already been through all of that. She didn't know what she was doing. She was completely in the dark. She was just following Billy's orders. But I could see how maybe she would be paranoid enough to do it. So she does. She gives Kyle the passwords and Kyle sees and is able to prove where the money went from Jabot to this gambling syndicate's account. Kyle takes those financial transactions to Ashley to make her next move. He's hounding her, by the way, to make a move against Billy. And He's making also these passive-aggressive comments to Billy about how there's going to be consequences for his action. What what exactly is Kyle's motivation here? I'm, I'm stuck on this a little bit because if Ashley is able to boot Billy out as CEO, Kyle's not going to be next in line for the job. Ashley has a better chance of getting that job than Kyle does. And Kyle is quickly making Ashley an enemy. I think Ashley had her own little plan going on. I don't think she wanted to see any of this. She told Kyle she didn't want to see any of this. She didn't want to exploit Billy's gambling in order to get him out of the company. She didn't want to win this way. Not at the expense of her brother's life or her brother's sobriety, but she also at this point can't just stand by and watch Billy... gamble away the family farm in exchange for some magic beans. So she calls the only other member of the Abbott family who might be able to help her, uh, Tracy. Tracy comes back into town and she doesn't exactly know why she's there. She's there at Ashley's behest, but she doesn't know the full story. Um... Ashley does ask her. She tells her that Billy has given in to his demons and asks Tracy to help vote Billy out of the CEO position, take over that CEO position herself just for long enough to remove the blood abbot clause and then appoint someone. Gee, I wonder who... (laughs) that's more capable of doing that job. Tracy is such salt of the earth. You know, you could really see how in pain she was for Billy. I mean, not only does she, she has the whole Dina thing going on. She's coming back into town realizing how much Dina has deteriorated. Apparently, Dina barely even knows that she's alive anymore. Do you think we're going to end up 
having a funeral for Dina soon. I'm afraid to even think that, but I mean, like, the way that Tracy described Dina, that she was sitting there holding her hand and Dina didn't even really know it was happening, that's no good. We have got to be coming up upon the end of this with Dina, right? I mean, I'm sad to even think about it, but, um, but Tracy's got that going on, and then when Ashley tells Tracy that Billy has been giving into his demons. I you could see that Tracy's heart was breaking for him. Tracy doesn't have an agenda. Tracy doesn't care about the whole power struggle at Jabot. I mean, personally I do wish that Tracy would see herself as capable of running that company, maybe give it a shot. Um, I just I just think that that's maybe not the person who she is or the person who she wants to become, so she doesn't. Uh, but she also doesn't agree with Ashley that booting Billy out of the company in disgrace is the best way to help him. See, you, you see, Tracy and Ashley have two very different, maybe sometimes opposing, world views. For Ashley, it's Jabot first, Billy second. For Tracy, it's Billy first, Jabot second. So Tracy suggests, instead of just this whole plan of Ashley's, why don't we stage an intervention to help Billy. To which, from the previews of next week, we can see that Billy is not too happy about... I mean, who is? I'm looking forward to it, though. I there, for, for two reasons. Number one, it at least gives Billy a chance to correct himself, to correct the problem before they correct it for him. But also, number two, the guest list is going to be amazing from the previews. It looks like Billy's intervention is going to be a who's who of Genoa City society. Jill is back for the occasion. We have the ladies in Billy's life, Phyllis, Victoria. All of the Abbots are there, including Jack. And they're all dressed up for the occasion. I'm going to have to have my pencils handy to make note of the best and worst dressed for this affair. Billy's Intervention Fashion Edition. <laughs> oh. You know what, though? I just realized that's probably why everyone's uh, dressed up for Billy's Intervention, because of Nick. they're on their way to Nick and Sharon's wedding. That's what it is. Man, I love this town. Like, I want to live in Genoa City forever. Sure, I'll be at your wedding at 6, but I've got to swing by a 4 o'clock intervention on the way. See you there. I need to buy you a beer. <laughs> Said last week by Ray to Nick shortly after arresting him. I thought that was a funny little moment. Ray dragged Nick through the process of being arrested, being booked, being interviewed and questioned, and then all kind of dissipates away, and Ray says, you know, I need to buy you a beer. <laughs> kind of funny, and congratulations to all of the YNR chatters this week who guessed that one right. Hey, Henry, Jillian, LJ, Rose, Nathalie, Heather, Aaron, Diana, Sherry, Tina Cole, and Ellen all guessed that correct. 
Here's a new one for the week. Watch me crush it. <laughs> Watch me crush it. Who said that? If you think you know, go to yrchat.com to leave your guess. And if you get it right, next week you will get a big old congratulations from me. I got a lot of really good comments this week, so buckle up, here we go. Zuperplex commenting about Gloria saying, Gloria should help Billy by going behind his back and snitch to Jack about the downward spiral Billy is headed into. She never wanted to be an executive ex assistant. She considered that position beneath her. She always wanted to be in the upper echelons of power. This might be a way of getting her what she wants. I cannot tell you how much I love that idea. Gloria definitely folded when it came to Kyle's threats. Doesn't seem very Gloria-like if you think about it. She definitely wanted a, a, a corporate position at Jabot and Jack didn't want to give it to her. So I think a power move by Gloria would have been a really interesting twist. I feel like the like YNR fans are always asking for more Gloria and we're never getting it. That would have been really cool. Uh, Mary Kay says, Gloria must be the strongest woman on the show. How do you say no to a red velvet cupcake? <laughs> I know it did look good too, right? We, so they must see YNR also must have had some kind of store credit with the local bakery because Shauna had her birthday cupcake at Crimson Lights and Kyle brought Glor Gloria that gorgeous looking red velvet cupcake that she turned down. Yes, it was cupcake week on YNR. I mean, and, and, and I also have to say it's still totally backwards from a Gloria personality perspective. She said no to the cupcake, but yes to Kyle eventually. <laughs> I would have said yes to the cupcake and no to Kyle. <laughs> oh, well, let's talk about Phyllis and Billy and Summer. Laura says the only reason Phyllis shouldn't break up with Billy is so that Summer doesn't get involved with him. <laughs> I know, right? At this point, Phyllis has to stand by her man because if she shows any weakness, if they break up, Summer is going to swoop in. Here's a really thoughtful comment from Daisy about Summer saying, I find it odd that Summer would hold some resentment toward her mother, not for how she treated Summer, but for how Phyllis lived her life. No mother is perfect, and unless I missed something, Phyllis has always been there for Summer. She gave her everything she could and ensured her true paternity was treated as normally as possible. With that, Summer's anger and blame toward Phyllis seems odd, perhaps even misdirected. But then again, maybe it's telling. So I wonder, when Summer was away, if she had been assaulted and her behavior now is a reflection of her internalizing the trauma she experienced. If that's true, I'd like to see Phyllis discover what happened to her child and help her deal with it and recover from the trauma she experienced. Well, I'm glad somebody else is picking up on the fact that there's just got to be more going on with Summer or that her behavior doesn't totally make sense. As you, as you, you say, Daisy, I mean, 
come on. It, it, it's it, the summer's beef with Phyllis seems to mo- be more like personal. Like I don't like you <laughs> as opposed to you treated me poorly from everything I can see. Summer had a very idyllic childhood, young adulthood. I mean, there's nothing wrong with her life for crying out loud. So what is it? What is, is there more? I mean, I, I think she would probably attribute it to everything that went down with her husband and, you know, being cheated on and, and whatsoever. But it, yeah, it's, it's not, I mean, I didn't, her husband died. I didn't Austin die. I guess that could be a trauma, but you know, there's any number of different ways that YNR can add a little bit of stuffing to summer, and I, I think I think we're gonna get it. Here's though an interesting uh, article from Soaps in Depth. They're reporting that the role of Summer Newman will be temporarily recast. Uh, the actress's name is Bailey Corman, and it's going to be beginning on Monday, October 1st. So that's about two weeks away, I guess. Or um, It says that it's only going to be for three episodes, though, so that the actress Hunter King can honor her commitment to the primetime series Life in Pieces. I'm really happy... Though, to hear this, because it tells me that Hunter King's going to be staying around as we continue to dig into this summer character, that that maybe she's going to be front burner for us for the foreseeable future. I like this character, and I think there's so many places to go. I'm totally okay that they do a recast for a couple episodes. I can handle that. No problem whatsoever. Uh, and then and bring Hunter back when it's time to really dig in. Why, you know, why wouldn't they have done that with Neil or something? I don't know. It just don't make sense. I can't let that go. <laughs> Let's see. Nick, Sharon, JT. Let's talk about these cats. Leslie. Oh, this is a good idea. Could Nick use his immunity to say that he's the one who accidentally killed JT and reveal his location? Oh, that's interesting, Leslie, because um, that would be Nick kind of taking the fall for the women. Um, I don't know, though. I mean, that would be a... um, See, he said, though, that he didn't have federal... Uh, immunity like his immunity was with the gcpd but federal crime including homicide is a federal crime and and you wouldn't have gcpd wouldn't be able to negotiate that uh on his behalf so i don't know but i like the idea that he might take the fall for the girls or i kind of wonder if ray's gonna end up finding out and covering it up because of his growing love for sharon maybe who knows ellen zones in on something I completely, that went right over my head, saying, why would Victoria, Phyllis, and Nikki jointly send Sharon a plant at the GCPD? They wouldn't. It would be weird, right? So that card must have been signed by Ray, and now he knows she lied and said that the plant was from Nick, or am I not following this correctly? No, I think you got it, Ellen. I didn't, that didn't even occur to me. Sharon shows up at the GCPD on her first day, and there is a plant with a card saying, whatever, congratulations on your first day from Victoria, Phyllis, and and Nikki. I assumed, I took that completely at face value that for some reason they decided to send her a plant. But when Ray asked Sharon who it was from, she lied and said it was Nick. But you do make a good point that if by chance Ray did that as a way to gauge Sharon's reaction, he most certainly would have known that she lied. Hmm. (laughs) It'll probably never be followed up on either. But maybe it's just one of those kind of... uh, 
who knows sort of little Easter egg situations. Oh, T. Nicole says, even though Ray is going after Sharon thinking she's the weakest link in the group of girls, I don't think it will be Sharon who will crack. I'm thinking Victoria or Phyllis. Victoria, because she's showing more weakness toward the cover-up lately, and Phyllis, because she's perceived to be the strongest and throw it in as a twist. However, Ray working Sharon looks like romantic feeling and will be following, especially when the Nick and Phyllis, uh, looks like romantic feeling will be following, uh, especially when Nick and Phyllis's Night of Passion comes out. Yeah, I wonder if... Ray working closely with Sharon is a whole lot more about him working her in the romance department than working her for information. Because as you say, either Victoria or Phyllis or even Nikki could also be the ones to crack. Uh, Mary Kay says, does anything anyone feel that something might happen between Abby and Ray? Or is it just me? No, I think that's a good good idea too. Because Abby has certainly had her fair share of interactions with Ray. And in fact, she seemed like she was defending Ray when Arturo and Lola were talking about him. Arturo told Abby pretty quickly, like, you don't know what happened, so you just kind of butt out. But I think that made Abby more curious. So it's possible she could be trying to get closer to Ray to find out what the deal is if Arturo won't tell her, and that could lead to a romantic connection. Certainly possible. Photo Love 79 says... I wish Sharon would hire her own private investigator to uncover Tessa's con. That would be an interesting plot twist for the Sharon the mama bear. <laughs> uh, well, we I mean, why nothing more about Kyle and his private investigator? We need some follow-up on that. We need to understand what's going on with Tessa. I do think that a lot of fans are having their radar up about whether or not to trust her, but Heather believes Tessa and left a comment saying, I love Tessa and I believe Tessa. I think the writing is hammering a nail so hard in one direction that it's extremely unlikely Tessa is evil. The more fans say con, the more I'm convinced that it's not. Um, Heather also notes that Tessa told Mariah that she knew exactly who it was and what they wanted about the guy who beat her up when she lied to Sharon a few days before, telling her she didn't see his face. She couldn't lie to Mariah, but she couldn't tell her the whole story either. That makes me think she's still a good person, and although she didn't tell Mariah or us what the whole story is, I'm hoping we'll find out soon. I am too. Honestly, I think this storyline, um, I don't know if it's intentionally vague or not, but to me it's coming off as lacking focus, lacking development, uh, specifically character development on Tessa's end. And that's been a, a complaint that I've had about the character of Tessa for a while, that they just aren't fleshing her out, and I need and want to see it. Um, speaking about uh, stories and characters not being fleshed out, Ellen says, I feel like the writers don't write teen characters as completely as they write the adult characters. You're right, all the little niceties were missing from Shauna at the birthday party, even though she did smile a lot. Thank God she finally hugged Devon when he paid for the free ride to college of her choice. 
It's like the writers have never spent time with anyone under the age of 25. There's something missing from the dialogue and the comings and goings of the younger characters. I wonder if maybe that's what's going on with Mariah and Tessa, too. <laughs> are they 20-something? Do they count? Um, yeah, I, don't, I, I think that there are some, uh, some problems there. It must be tough when you've got that big of a cast to make sure to give everyone the right amount of attention. But I would think then the dialogue and, you know, that you do have with the characters you're using should, you should have a lot of bang for your buck there. I mean, if, if you can't focus on everyone all of the time, you should at least get some good concentrated uh, character development, you know, where you do have them on screen. I shouldn't be left just wanting more or really not understanding in a, in a, in a character sort of way. There shouldn't be this many questions. And, man, speaking of that, Anna says Neil was on screen on Monday and nobody even mentioned Lily. I don't want to, um, I don't want to see, Anna says, I don't want to see him going to bed with Ashley and getting overly jealous about some random business. I wanted him with his daughter. Also, I laughed, Anna, because you made note of the uh, 1970s adding machine that Billy was using at his desk. That was a little over the top for dramatic effect, right? I mean, Billy's sitting there doing CEO business, doing his calculations, using that old ticker. Like, what is that? The tape fed, the roll fed adding machine? Does anybody use that still? Maybe they do in accounting. I don't know. But it did, I did think that was a little over the top. Well, um, about Neil, because, you know, this is now my, one of my favorite topics. This is a two-week-old comment from Rainey, but I really think it's, um, it's good to add here. Rainey says, I agree about Neil not being present at Lily's trial, but I believe this may have been uh, filmed during the time that Christoph St. John was struggling with depression. And you know what, Rainy? That might be. I, I that might very well be. Uh, but the thing is, with Christoph St. John coming back this week, why didn't they show him talking like with Ashley about what was going on with his feelings about his daughter instead of having him sleeping with her? Like I could see if there were scheduling conflicts between Christoph and Crystal Khalil that would prevent them from being in scenes together, but not even having him talking to. Ashley or anyone about his feelings that just isn't realistic and that's not that's not connecting with me something is up there and I can't put my finger on why I'm sure there's a particular there's a I'm sure there's a perfectly legitimate reason that someone just hasn't clued me in about yet but let's um speaking of, of topics that I just can't stop hammering home let's talk about Paul again. Because I didn't know this, but apparently his contract uh, is not renewed for this upcoming January, so he's not even going to be on recurring status anymore. Is that right? Uh, I mean, this is a this is a big deal, getting rid of Paul. What's, what's going on with that? Um, Diana had posted some of, I guess, the Twitter drama that's gone on around Paul, around Doug Davidson and the fact that his contract was apparently not renewed. Uh, apparently, Stephen Nichols from General Hospital and from Days of Our Lives uh, and from YNR, he played Tucker on YNR, uh, says, this is an absolute travesty. What's going on over there at YNR? This man has not only acted his ass off at YNR for 40 years, but he's a man of the utmost integrity. I am saddened 
by this news. Much love, Doug. Huh. And then reacting to the outpouring of online fan love, Doug Davidson uh, wrote, You are all so wonderful. I so appreciate your support and kindness and love. Thanks for a fabulous career. Thanks for a fabulous career. That makes it sound like his career is over. That is so sad. There's got to be something more we can do, right? Maybe maybe seeing all of this outpour of love for Paul will make YNR decide to work him back in. And it doesn't have to be as the chief of police. Look, I'll agree with you that maybe Paul's role in the GCPD is not the most exciting material to work with as a writer. Uh, maybe that whole thing has just become boring and stale. So come on, YNR, let's get creative. We need to think of some ways that we could work Paul back into the show, even if it is in a peripheral way. I could see, and I think it would be fabulous to have Paul deciding to quit the GCPD and maybe decide to pursue a new dream. I mean, maybe we could find out that Paul really loves to cook and he could start a catering company and he could be like catering our many parties and events around town or he could buy and run the athletic club or he could um, decide after all these years that he wants to learn how to become a pilot and he can pilot our private jets. I mean, come on. There's got to be something we could do to at least like acknowledge him. He's the longest running cast member. You've got to be kidding me. You tell me, YNR Chatters, what are some other ways that YNR could weave Paul creatively back into this canvas other than in a police department capacity? Because he always botches. It's just, you know, anybody that's in that detective position always ends up botching it. <laughs> you just can't catch these people. Okay, let's move on here. Uh, Ellen thinks that a Jack and Victor brother twist might make Jack and Victor interesting again. Their same old storylines grew stale years ago. So figuring out how to be brothers, maybe developing a sense of humor about each other in their later years could be fun. It's time for a younger generation to be the corporate titans. I, I agree, and that's what I'm going to go with. I am, if it turns out next week... <sighs> that they are half-brothers, then I am just going to go with it. I promise you, I'm not going to keep complaining. But I reserve the right to have one more complaint, and I'll end on this. Because Gary left me a voicemail like a week ago. But this has been rattling around in my brain all week, so i got to get it out there. It's, it's a really good point. Gary says, I could be wrong, but I believe that Victor was a complete self-made man before ever arriving in Genoa City in the 80s. So Gary says, I don't see his father, Albert Miller, meshing with the Genoa City Country Club high society social scene with Dina in the 50s. This, ever since you said it, Gary, I can't get it out of my mind. This whole Albert Miller thing is just, it just, it's not clicking with me for, for a number of reasons, and this is another really good one. Uh, it's my understanding as well that uh, Victor was a self-made man when he came to town. Um, I've always had the impression that Albert Miller was not a rich man in the 50s. I, I, I never got the impression that he was hobnobbing at the country clubs. I had the impression that Albert Miller abandoned his family in part because he couldn't afford to support them. And certainly neither could the single mother uh, after he left. And uh, to my understanding, that's how and why Victor ended up in the orphanage. 
But uh, I don't know. Apparently, um, now we know Albert and Dino were whooping it up at the Genoa City Motor Arms Hotel talking about how good it feels to just abandon your family. I mean, yeah, (laughs) that's something they certainly had in common. I think that all of this is obviously part of the rewriting of Victor and Jack's history. It's it is vague. Um, and it, it is not bulletproof. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. But um, I'm, go- I'm willing to let that go. But it also got me thinking about one other little facet of Victor's character that I think I've never talked about on YNR Chat. I don't think we've ever really addressed this. And I don't know that YNR has ever really addressed this. You tell me. Has YNR ever addressed the reality that Victor is German? Like, in all my years of watching the show, I honestly don't remember it ever being mentioned that Victor is clearly German. Does anybody know? Does anybody remember YNR ever talking about it? Please leave me a comment if you have any memory of any mentioning of this whatsoever. I've got to know. I honestly, I started watching this show when I was 13 years old, and I am sure that at the time, I must have noted that Victor had an accent when he spoke, but I swear to you, for the next 20 years, I didn't think twice about it. (laughs) I mean, that, honestly, it wasn't even until maybe two or three years ago that I even really realized that he was German. And how weird is that, that that didn't even fully click with me. I just, and now that I'm thinking about it, with Eric Braden having lived in Nazi Germany, why did YNR, if they haven't, why did they never fold that in to Victor's backstory? That would have been a much more interesting and plausible direction for Victor's backstory, no? Boy, for the second week in a row, my camera battery's getting ready to die. I guess that's the camera's way of telling me to just shut up <laughs> and move on. Actually, on a housekeeping note, I'm recording this video in HD for, I think, the very first time. This week, I, I came upon the ending of a very long journey of getting fiber optic internet installed in the house. It's so fast! <laughs> it's amazing! Like, you, I can just do so many things all at once. I can download things lickety-split, which means I can upload things a whole lot faster, which which means I would like to present the YNR chat videos in a little bit higher quality if I can. So I'm recording this in HD. Hopefully it's all going to go off without a hitch and you're going to be seeing me in better quality uh, this week. If if not, then just pretend I never said it. <laughs> it never happened. And we'll go back to the fuzzy old versions of me that you usually get. Okay, well, I really do have to go, but I thank you so very much for participating with me. Uh, if you'd like to go to the website and, and leave some comments, yrchat.com is a great place to do that. Um, I thank you so very much, and I hope you come back next week to chat with me again about the show. I love you guys. Take care. Bye.